All right, so now we'll get into the final topic of today's episode, which is sort of an extension of the Israel-Palestine conflict, because uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the civilizational dynamics that I've seen at play. Yeah, because we've been focusing more on the Israel-Palestine relationship, is the Israeli Defense Force fighting against Hamas and how they've been killing civilians. Uh, we've been talking about the culture war implications of uh, the conflict and how it devolved into a culture war issue to begin with and how that culture war is playing out in the United States. We've talked about the broader regional implications of the war and how Israel going into Gaza will effectively be a tripwire to behead themselves. And we can, we've talked about the diplomatic ramifications of this and how generally public sentiment has been shifting towards Palestine. We see countries bringing back their envoys from Israel, Bolivia breaking off relations altogether. We've seen is we've seen not Israel, we've seen Arabia and Iran, their heads of state meeting for the first time in decades. And we've made the observation that the region is more on the same page than it has been since the days of the Ottoman Empire. And we've also observed how they've been, how Arabia and Iran have been working overtime to sort of secure peace for this. And of course, we've laid out how all of this, uh, we put all that in the context of what Hamas was actually trying to achieve here, which was to kickstart the chain of events that would potentially lead to sovereignty for Palestine, which is getting an international, specifically a regional, intervention into the Israel-Palestine war for the purpose of securing a ceasefire, a negotiated settlement specifically, uh, like an actual resolution of the conflict. And I think that was Hamas's goal. And we've talked about that. But as this thing develops, and it, we, we've talked about it threatening to expand into a wider war with America talking about bombing Iran, as we sort of take a couple steps back every almost every week to see wider and wider and then wider implications here uh and now that we have a little bit of time behind us that we can also observe as well i'm starting to notice civilizational dynamics at play here so right off the bat we understand that the arab world is heavily invested in this and we saw that much when the video came out showing that hospital getting bombed in Gaza, again, modern, well, I say modern, the, the newer evidence suggested it was just the parking lot and that the people inside the hospital were not deliberately bombed or directly in, uh, injured from this. But we saw the impact that that imagery alone had. And it's it caused riots throughout the, the Arab world. And the U.S. and Israeli embassies were put under siege by mobs of people. And the U.S. embassy in Jordan was... Uh, set on fire. So we saw that. We saw how it spawned a whole lot of diplomatic action coming out between Israel and no, not Israel, my goodness, uh, between Iran and Arabia, the leaders of Sh Sunni and Shia Islam. Well, Iran being the leader of Shia and Arabia being the leader of Sunni Islam. Their heads of state meeting for the first time ever in their lives. And the first time in like over 50 years, because they broke off relations a good while back. That's the Islamic world at play as well. 
because and it's not even just them it's turkey threatening to get involved as well so we see the arab world we saw the the, the uprisings throughout the region uh, and i say uprisings i mean the unrest uh, and that unrest being targeted at the us and israel and the specifically the embassies we see how hezbollah has gotten involved but i'm looking primarily at the regional sen- sentiments here they are more united the arab world is more united than they have been in centuries and their full attention is on israel which they view and a, as a colony and an ethno state of european jews attacking and killing civilians in an arab nation palestine but not just an arab nation a muslim nation of palestine and that obviously doesn't sit well with them and they see that the united states a large christian country has come in to support the infidels again we're looking at this from the perspective of the arab world not from america or europe or israel so that's one civilizational dynamic at play and it is having it's already the 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 most uh, noticeable here and it's already having the most tangible impact in the form of mobs flash mobs descending on uh, embassies and that will also have the carryover effect of heavily influencing public support and public sentiment within these countries towards certain policies because the governments are obviously going to respond to these things happening they're going to try to take the diplomatic road well, unless you're turkey in which, in which case you're all aboard the war but if you're iran and arabia you're you're, you're going to try to take the diplomatic road and that's what they've been trying to do but if israel invades gaza that road might be cut uh, and actually uh, as i was between segments here because i got up to go use the bathroom uh, I noticed I got a, a notification here saying that Arabia, not Arabia, that Iran, their president, Ibrahim uh, Raisi, has agreed to attend the summit for the Gaza summit, which is being held in Arabia. And there it is. Checkmate. Now, it's not, it may or may not be the big summit. It might just be a meeting of delegates and heads of state for the time being. But the mechanisms are already at play and we're already, we're advancing rapidly here. We're advancing rapidly to the point where these, the mechanisms, and I say the mechanisms, I mean, the diplomatic angle of being worked out here, the military angle being worked out. These are advancing to points where Israel will not be able to resist. And at that point it will be checkmate. But that's just a very interesting piece of news that I thought I would bring up before I continued. But we can see the Arab world is already highly activated right now and because they're highly activated that's going to have reciprocal effects on governments within the arab world as well and the actions that they take and the actions that they can and can't take because of their own public sentiment if public sentiment is go to war with israel save palestine well that doesn't leave very much room for diplomacy now does it but it does leave a whole lot of room for military intervention, which I still think that Arabia and Iran will try to avoid doing. Uh, again, Iran has, play, has taken a very different position 
from what you would expect based off of the comments made by people like Lindsey Graham and Nikki Haley and these these warmongers who just won a war with Iran. Iran has taken a very dip, a, a surprisingly diplomatic approach. Perhaps they've been even more, uh, they've been working the diplomatic angle even more than Arabia, and Arabia it hasn't been a slouch in that regards either. But Iran, while they are Islamic, they're not an Arab country, and neither is Turkey, which brings us into the broader Islamic world dynamic. The entire Islamic world is watching what's happening here. Muslims in United States, uh, again, if we're to trust the polls, which I think we don't necessarily need to trust the polls to just watch <laughs> online the, the sentiment changing in real time, Muslims in the United States don't appreciate Biden coming out and saying, we're going to stand behind Israel. You're not alone. We're going to give you whatever you want. And they certainly don't appreciate Congress trying to give $40 billion to Israel. They don't appreciate that shit. And good on them. <laughs> That's going to have effects on the U.S. election. They're going to vote. These people will vote. They're citizens here. And they're citizens in other countries as well. Like we, we don't like to acknowledge for whatever for whatever reason we don't like to acknowledge that other countries have democracy as well, but they do. Uh, just about the entire world has democracy, with very few exceptions. We just don't recognize those democracies whenever they have governments we don't like. But people will vote, and that's going to have an impact on this, depending on when those elections are, how long this conflict is dragged out. And the people in charge of countries right now are also thinking about their elections. Now, they might not be as obsessed with the election as we have become here in the United States, but they're still thinking about their election. They're still thinking about their electoral campaign. They're still thinking about their support base within their country because they have to think about the next election at some point and how their actions right now are going to impact their re-election chances. They're thinking about these things. Public sentiment matters. So when public sentiment has shifted in this way that is staunchly, staunchly against Israel and it's region wide, that's a, that's a major dynamic at play that will have consequences, especially as this thing goes more long term. Uh, so it's captivated the Arab world and it has obviously captivated the Islamic world as well. Uh, uh, where again, Jews and American Christians are being seen as responsible for the crisis here. The, the crisis being mass civilian murder being committed against a predominantly Muslim population, the Palestinians. So there's, uh, with the introduction of the Islamic world here, there's the religious dynamic at play. And that dynamic is noticeably stronger in the Middle East, Israel included, than it is here in the United States, and especially Europe. The Europeans have checked out. <laughs> and no one has bothered to consult them about what their opinion on the matter. Uh, aside from the... Well, actually, no, not even the Israelis. No one has consulted the Europeans at all. They, they've just been left adrift in this. And you know what? They, they're probably perfectly fine with that, because they have been sucked dry from the Ukraine stuff. And, well, let's just say that the Ukraine stuff isn't exactly done and over with. But there's a religious dynamic, and that galvanizes even more energy to this conflict than otherwise there would have been if it was just Israel-Palestine. Because we've seen flare-ups between Israel and Palestine before. They get bad, but it doesn't get to this level. 
And that's what's new here. Not Israel and Palestine. It's the region. It's the world. The world has changed. The region has changed. The United States has changed. China and Russia have changed. The, the list of great powers has changed. And the power dynamics between a lot of these powers and a lot of these countries have changed as well. Again, Europe is not even in the equation here. That's new. That is fundamentally new for this region. China is increasingly in the equation. Russia is increasingly in the equation. And America is increasingly uh, out of the equation. And that is also new. So there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of angles there's a lot of dynamics at play here. Uh, but there's there's the Arab world, there's the Islamic world, which brings into the, the, the which brings the religious dynamic into this. Uh, the religious dynamics now at play. But the Islamic world is being called to arms here. So there's a there's a great uh, again there's just this really big energy. Uh, it's I'm trying to articulate it here because I. I, it's on, I've only just observed this, uh, so I'll, I'll keep it in, in mind as we move forward, but I've only really just noticed these civilizational dynamics at play. And it's galvanizing a lot of energy that wasn't there before. Like, it was there, but it wasn't for this conflict, right? It, it, it never got brought to bear for this conflict, and this is a conflict that's been going on for a long time. But now this energy is being brought to bear for this conflict, and it's overlapping with so many other forces. The religious dynamic, the civilizational dynamic of the Arab and Islamic worlds, because Islam is a civilization as much as it's a religion, just as Christianity is. And we can see how it's brought in people who are even beyond the Arab world, because again, Iran and Turkey are not Arab. They're Muslim, but not Arab. Iran is Shia, not Sunni. Turkey is Sunni, but not Arab. So it's brought in different civilizational forces as well. The, the Persian civilization of uh, Iran bringing in the other half of the Islamic world. I say half, it's not really half. It's a stark minority, the Shia Muslims, the Shiites. But that's a significant portion of the Islamic world as well. It, Iran brings them into the equation. Iran brings Persian civilization into the equation. And Turkey, Turkey's the interesting thing here. Because, again, while there's a great deal of overlap between the Arab and Islamic worlds, there are key non-Arab players here who bring their own civilizations to the table. Persia, Iran being one. But then there's Turkey. And Turkey brings with it a third civilization. Well, fourth, if we're counting uh, Persian. But Turkey brings with it a third major civilizational force here. And that is Turkic civilization. A, a civilization stretching from modern-day Turkey through Central Asia and Western China all the way to Mongolia and parts of Russian Siberia. That's a massive sphere with a lot of people. Granted, not the biggest of populations, but I mean, Central Asia is home to what? 40, 50 million people by itself? 40, 50 million people by itself? Western China has hundreds of million, has probably a hundred million plus people 
you were talking about the, the Uyghur Muslims. These are Turkic peoples. And then the Mongolians, large parts of their population being Turkic, of Turkic descent, and also Muslim. And again, you have other Turkic tribes living in what is modern-day Russian Siberia. This is a major, major world. I mean, you can look at the Tatars and the, the Khazars in Russia. These are Turkic peoples, and they're Muslims. So you have ethnicities even within Russia and across all of central, the, the, the Russian civilizational sphere as well, being essentially, uh, well, the crisscross, the overlap between the Turkic and the Russian civilizational spheres here. But specifically looking at the Turkic aspect of this, that's a really, really, really long list of countries to be added to the list of other countries who are also invested in this. Now, I think the major that, that I think that the Turkic civilization dynamic of this won't be played out as much directly because a lot of them don't just don't have the means of getting there aside from Turkey itself. But it will bring with it diplomatic pressure because these populations will be galvanized as well to see some kind of support by their countries for Palestine, a fellow Muslim nation. Because again, the Islamic world extends to the to the just about all of the Turkic civilization. So you have Turkey, the state, the leader of that civilization, the civilization state of that civilization, and the overlap between Turkey being Muslim, as well as the Turkic civilizational sphere being predominantly Muslim as well. And you see how that energy all finds its way back into the Israel-Lebanon conflict. And it will take the form of more diplomatic pressure, because again, most of them don't have the ability or the military wherewithal to do anything, even if they could get to this region. They don't have the ability to get there, and they don't have the ability to do much if, even if they could. But that's a lot of diplomatic pressure. That's a lot of potential delegates to just show up at a peace summit to give it some real clout as a, as a global summit. This, this is something that has some weight behind it. This is something that's worth your time. This is something where countries who are serious about peace are going to show up. That's, that's, that kind of influence can't be underestimated. Like we, we focus a lot on the military uh, when we talk about war, but diplomacy is also its own game. And quantity has a quality all of its own, even if the countries in question can't necessarily do anything about it themselves. Their presence has an impact and now that there's going to be a, a summit about gaza being held in arabia that iran's head of state is going to be attending so you're going to see another meeting between the saudi crown prince and the president of iran who else is going to join this summit i think a lot of countries are going to join that summit and we might we that'll be a, an opportunity to see if what i'm talking about here will translate to reality so the, this is speculation right now but i'm seeing these forces at play so i want to get ahead of it and talk about it so we're going to see a lot when this summit happens we're going to see a lot so lots of civilizational dynamics at play here and i may be the first maybe the first to really 
bring it up in conversation because it's it's definitely it's definitely an out there thing right it's not exactly the first thing you're going to notice looking at this conflict but well i've noticed it now so now i observe and i'll see how this plays itself out but either way a lot of energy through these dynamics the religious the civilizational the ethnic a lot of these dynamics are bringing in a whole lot of extra extra juice and energy into this conflict that previously was not there before and i don't think it'd be wise for us to ignore that so i'll speculate on it for now and i'll observe later and see how it plays out but i wanted to discuss this with you guys so you sort of see some of what i'm seeing here as we move forward in, because it's it's not just enough to see the situation for what it is we should also at least try to see a little bit of what might be coming uh from the future uh and pakistan we should also not forget about pakistan because uh, well they're the only nuclear armed nation in the islamic world the the, the talk that ben shapiro came out with um uh, way back in the beginning of this when he talked about oh if the united states doesn't back israel israel might get put in a corner and use a nuke well if you use a nuke at that point it's pakistan you need to be dealing you need to be talking about not iran oh my god iran's gonna have a nuke well pakistan already has one if you nuke iran you're picking a fight with pakistan that's suicide pakistan has more nukes than you as a matter of fact pakistan is what the most populous arab the not well actually are they arab i'm not entirely sure they're arab i think they're pak they're pakistani i think that's a different ethnicity but regardless i'm pretty sure pakistan is one of if not the most populous muslim nation actually no it might be indonesia it might it, it might be indonesia i'm pretty sure they're above the 200 million marks so yeah it might be or, or maybe Pakistan. I, I have to relook up my numbers here. But either way it goes, they're really, really, really up there on the charts in terms of population. Uh, and they are really big and they're nuclear armed. They have a very powerful military. The most power, perhaps one of the most powerful militaries in the Islamic world altogether. So that they should not be forgotten when we're, especially when we're looking at civilizational dynamics here and when we're looking at the Islamic world. Pakistan is a part of that. Indonesia is a part of that. We should not forget about them. Uh, and so Bangladesh. But I'll digress. But even here, even here, we are also seeing the civilizational, this, well, I don't know if civilizational forces, because I think the whole Western solidarity thing is pseudo civilizationism that doesn't, that views the west as a singular rather than a plural as it should be viewed it should be seen as a plural instead of a singular but uh i won't i won't get into my personal views on how we should interpret the term the west but the pseudo civilizationism of the western world and defending western civilization western solidarity we can also see the the framing the civilizational framing of this conflict in sort of those terms primarily as a fight against barbarism and the savages who are trying to tear down this shining beacon uh, 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 uh you know 
this, this shining beacon of liberal democratic values, uh, adrift in a sea of authoritarianism, you know, you know that what we've been seeing primarily from the, the conservative side, the super duper pro-Israel side, uh, who really like uh, hyping these things up. But we, we can see the framing of this conflict in civilizational terms, even here with the West. And unfortunately, Trump has also succumbed to such talking points. Uh, in uh, one of the speech, he said, he said, we're going to we're going to save Western civilization. Uh, when, and look, I do not need to be doing all that. I think the West needs to save Western civilization. And I think America needs to go home. Now, whether or not he means what he's saying on this campaign trail, we'll see. We'll see. He says a lot of things. He says a lot of things. We'll see. We will see. But uh, yeah, it, it's a bit sad to see Trump be, succumb to this because, uh, you know, he's sort of the, the only guy that I feel like voting for. But uh, I got to be honest about who, what he is and what he's saying, because in, in a speech he gave at a rally, he said, quote, when I'm back in the White House, the United States will stand with Israel all the way, 100%, without hesitation, without qualification, and without any apology. <laughs> <clears throat> We're not going to be apologizing. We won't be apologizing. And then he goes on to say, we will fully support the Israelis in their mission to ensure that Hamas is decimated and these atrocities will be avenged. They will be avenged even beyond what you're thinking about. The wars have to be finished, oftentimes before the peace. And if you don't do the wars, the peace doesn't happen. And if you're not going to be tough and ruthless like they are, he's referring to Israel. If you're not going to be tough and ruthless like they are, it's not going to happen. We have to stop it. We have to end it once and for all. So very, very disappointing. So very, very disappointing. Granted, I think the Israel conflict will be over before he gets the chance to do anything about it. So, you know, I don't necessarily hold it too much over him. I think this is going to be resolved before he gets the chance to screw himself over foreign policy wise and sell us out to Israel. But it is it's disappointing to hear. It's very, very disappointing to hear the the face of America first conservatism putting America second to Israel. And I. I, it just really rubs me the wrong way, hearing the so-called America first, like, and it's just an insult, right? It's an insult to call yourself America first, and then to put America second, third, fourth, and last. It's like, well, what was the point of that? What was the point of saying all these things, all these wonderful things about how we, sh we should focus on our own country if you're not going to do that? Oh, so disappointing. Very, very disappointing. But it's better to be honest with, about our, who our politicians are than to lie and pretend that they are perfect people. I think that I can, uh, I can overlook it because I don't think he'll be, I don't think this conflict is going to last long enough for him to have an impact on it. Uh, similar to Ukraine, although he does promise peace on Ukraine. So at the very least, he's going to be good on that one. But uh, Israel is just uh, the Achilles heel of the America first concern. They, they just, Trump aside, like he has his flaws, and this is obviously one of them, but the America First conservatives, they, it, it's their Achilles heel. Foreign policy is their Achilles heel. They just can't get it right to save their lives. 
all that clout that they build up uh, over the course of the Ukraine war as they slowly but surely, because remember, they, they were on board with it at first. Oh, yeah, we of course we should give some aid to Ukraine. Yeah, I remember that. And then they, then they switched and said we shouldn't be doing anything for Ukraine, which is the correct position. But all the clout that they built up over that uh, was immediately thrown out the window to do exactly what we were just doing in Ukraine, but for Israel. Throwing away everything that they just said because it's Israel now. And they're going to do it again when it's Taiwan. <sighs> so disappointing. But alas, that is all I have for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. <sighs> the world is changing, folks. And we are going to have fun watching it together. Now, I've been your host, Sean Wade. And you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So till we meet again next Monday, servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.